Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Band of History. Today I sit down with former guitarist of the band, Jim Weeder. Jim joined the band in 1985 and remained their lead guitarist until the group dissolved in 2000, after Rick Danko's death. Known as one of the premier Fender Telecaster players in the world, outside of the band, Weeder has played with Dr. John, Graham Parker, Keith Richards, Scotty Moore, and Bob Weir. Weeder was also a member of the Levon Helm Band from 2009 until Levon's death in 2012, and has since created the Weight Band, which originated in the barn of Levon Helms in 2012 when Weeder, Randy Chalante, former member of the band, were performing songs of the band with Garth Hudson, Jimmy Vivino, and Brian Isaacs. The Weight Band is getting ready to release their second album, Shines Like Gold, on April 1st, 2022. This is my interview with Jim Weeder. Jim, you are a Woodstock native. You started playing guitar at a young age. I, I'm really fascinated between being from such a artistic and musically rich place. You can really trek back very far uh, in Woodstock and just upstate New York in general in terms of uh, the history of music uh, and arts. And you started playing guitar very young. What were some of the early influences for you? Was it was it people that you heard on records or on the radio? Was it was it locals? Was it your parents? Like where were some of your earlier influences? The early influences were, of course, um, the Ventures. You know, um, the instrumental bands that were popular in the early '60s, and then of course Elvis Presley, big one, uh, Scotty Moore. Um, and then you saw James Burton on the Aussie on TV, and then the English bands that came along, of course, and then the um, you know Jeff Beck, the Yardbirds, and then the Beatles, and uh, all those influences, the Stones, of course, stuff you heard. But but um, really, I I didn't around Woodstock, you know, in my teens. Um, there was uh, some of the influences where Paul Butterfield band was was um, playing around here. He was on Albert Grossman's record label and um, Bearsville Records started up and the band, of course, uh, was here and Dylan and Van Morrison lived here at that time. 
And um, then there was bands like Fear Itself with Ellen McElwain um, and Chris Zaloom. These guitar the, the people that lived here really were my main influence. Buzzy Featon was a big, besides Robbie's playing with the band, um, as far as guitar playing and, and the guys I mentioned previously, like Scotty and James Burton and Steve Proper, when you saw Booker T, all those people I saw on TV, I never saw them live, but but here we had um, Paul Butterfield band um, when he was had his band with, um, when he lived in Woodstock and um, I got to meet him and know him and he would always be jamming all the time and Buzzy Featon was his guitarist back then and one of the most amazing guitar players ever um, and his attack really influenced me because he played with an attack like Butterfield's harp which I incorporated his attack and Dave Sanborn was in Buzzy Featon's band also uh, and in Butterfield's band and the, all three Neil Larson all those guys played with like McCoy Tyner like in force across the neck I call it you know uh, but they had that influence and they all kind of played a light um, as they were developing their style they were kind of before the you know pre-jazz rock you know um, they kind of had a band if I can remember the name of it but they also play with Buzz uh, with Paul Butterfield so and between that between Buzzy's guitar playing and um, John Hall had a band here in Woodstock and he was just amazing he had a trio with Wells Kelly and Larry Hoppin and um, so between those guys and um, Chris Saloom with Alan McElwain had a blues band. Those were big influences on me right here in Woodstock. And, and then Van Morrison was here. And that mixture of um, that Van was doing then, um, I think he might've done Tupelo Honey here. Uh, that kind of crossing over what the band did where you mix folk and blues with rock and rhythm and blues. And uh, I think that all kind of came from Woodstock, that that band sound, I could call it the Woodstock sound, you know. Um, it really came from here where you mix folk and blues and rock and roll and rockabilly. Were you like, you know, it's tough because you're a kid and you're, you're just in the environment in which you, you're in and you don't really know much different, but, but were you aware at how special the kind of, Woodstock sound was that whole era of music during that period and that location specifically, or did that kind of come, you know, a little bit later after a bit more reflection? No, I, I, I was aware because I mean, the band, when I first heard the band, the first song I heard was chess fever. And I said, wow, man, I was, I said that organ distorted like that. I was, it, I was upstairs above this bar visiting a friend. And I heard this song, you know, I went, man i gotta have that that's amazing you know and it was kind of had rock and roll it had blues it it just was raw and the lyrics were crazy you know it was um <clears throat> it was really cool so to and then know that they were our local guys i was really digging the, the band when it first came out and um, they were like my hometown heroes and then robbie's guitar playing was so strong and melodic um 
back then. He was really, he, he always introed every tune and there was always these guitar parts that really was signature parts to his songs. Um, he didn't really stretch out a lot, you know, but um, it, it didn't matter. Those guitars with distinct sounds. So they were big influences. And, and um, that, was a, that was a huge part of my growing up here in Woodstock. And I, was, I thought it was really special. There's a lot of, you know, teenage kids out there that start playing guitar, start playing whatever instrument. They're looking up to some of their favorite bands. But, you know, you, you've made a career out of it. What was those next steps in terms of, you know, growing up in Woodstock, seeing some of these guys play, have these hometown heroes in the band? For those who are a little bit of unaware until you, like, join the band and start, and start working with those guys, you were a session player, from my understanding, right? You were, you were doing a lot of session work? I started doing that. I, yeah, I went to, um, well, I, you know, all, like Ben Keith was up here and who ended up producing Neil Young, almost all of his records from the famous Harvest. And we had a band with Billy Monday from, um, and Ben Keith and Robert Lee. That, um, and uh, very early on, er, very early 1970s, we recorded at Bearsville at the barn. And then, um, I Ben said, let's go down to Nashville and um, we'll, we, you know, we'll, let's drive. You got a car, let's drive down. So we, he introduced me there. He got a gig with Neil Young down there. Um, and um, I started playing Nashville and, and um, as a young guy, just started playing song demos down there, doing um, demos. And, and I got a job with, um, Johnny Paycheck on the road, which was really crazy, <laughs> nuts, um, completely out of his mind. And um, James Talley, we did the uh, Jimmy Carter's inauguration thing. And uh, I started playing with Lee Clayton, this great songwriter who wrote Ladies Love Outlaws. So I started really working um, down there. I had a band um, kind of with Lee Clayton, kind of of like the beginning like before there was dire straits but with uh, jimmy day one of the first pedal steel players besides ben keith down there um and we had a band down there with lee clayton which was really cool and uh we were doing stuff you know original music but in a, in that vibe like dire straits you know, like way early in the early 70s so i did that you know and um Learned a lot about playing, you know, playing a lot. <laughs> you had to play a lot. Yeah, Nashville seems to be a, a rite of passage for a lot of musicians. Obviously, a lot of country musicians. You're you're learning. It's you know the the talents just kind of seeping from from everywhere when you're down there. But but so is Woodstock as well. But like, what did you learn? What was like some of the biggest things you learned? Like, was it something on the road with Johnny Paycheck and all those kind of crazy tales? Was it something that you picked up in town? Um, well, it's a Johnny Paycheck gig. It's a good story. I was totally broke. And, uh, and I was living with Jimmy Day and um, that pedal steel player, very famous, early, very early one down there. And Clark Pearson from Janis Joplin Band. Clark got a, we had an apartment and Clark got a gig with uh, Dolly Parton. So Jimmy Day says, well, I, I'll get us a gig. Let's go down to Printer's Alley to Johnny Paycheck's club. So we went down there 
like at midnight and around one in the morning we sat in with him he said you got the gig get in the van we're going to texas right then and we followed we followed him in a cadillac in a van to texas and played all these you know toothless and ruthless bars and air force bases but that was how i first got a gig with him and he was like out of his mind the whole time <laughs> that's 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 crazy yeah, it was. <laughs> but after that, you know, I just started working down that way and, and doing gigs and, and playing, you know, after after hours gigs where you play from midnight to five and four in the morning or and then songwriting gigs, you know, and um, until I finally uh, left town. Now you you wandered back up to Woodstock there. Now why was that? Was there was there something calling you back uh, in particular? Were you were you homesick a little bit? Uh, what what was the deal with that? Sure, it was a little bit of both. Yeah, I, I went back and then I got um and then went back for a little bit, but not long, and then went down to Atlanta to work at Axis Studios um, as a session player, uh, me, Richard Bell from Toronto finally came, he came down and joined us. Harvey Brooks, um, great bass player, um, was working down there at Axis. So we had a rhythm section. We all lived together in this big mansion down there and um, <clears throat> we tore it up. <laughs> <laughs> we had quite the time uh, working down there at the studio. We were on, on salary and then at night I would play gigs too, you know, um, with a, with with some musicians with Richard Bell and uh so it, it was a, good, a really good time down there that's where I really got my chops together by playing you know when we played bars after after that kind of the studio thing dwindled <clears throat> um we ended up playing in bars of course and um you know four sets a night five nights a week a month in each venue I did it for years and uh I, it was really how I kind of really got my chops together where you could, back then you could really play a lot. And uh, it was one of the best things that I did. You know, I got to know all the guys from sea level and that Southern influence of slide. And, and um, it was, um, it was a good, was a good thing for me to do. What's it about that? You know, you've become really synonymous with, with the Telecaster what is it about the telecaster and that like single coil sound obviously like i can draw parallels as as a musician myself into maybe why yeah. why you like that but was it the idols was it you know the type of music you were playing uh what 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 draws you to the telecaster well i mean it 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 um it started early when i you know because that was the popular guitar in 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 uh, early 60s it was uh you know steve cropper you saw him on tv or james burton with ricky uh, nelson and then uh, and then um once i heard roy buchanan and robbie robertson and robbie robertson with the band played tell everybody played tellies in the 60s before they a lot of people switched over i just loved the sound of them loved the neck and feel and then when i heard roy buchanan played a telecaster i was just like yeah i'm not going anywhere i, I gotta get an old 50 and uh, i finally you know went across the country to look for one just like royce you know and and um i got one and i've always played that guitar i still play it now it's my main instrument so it was the sound it was the feel of the neck 
and um, it, just how it would cut. And um, you, you can play rhythm, uh, great rhythm with the rhythm pickup or screaming back leads. And uh, of course, all my favorite players played it, you know. So uh, I, I just uh, stayed with it. Awesome. And, you know, you, you mentioned playing the bars and stuff like that. Like, obviously, we can we can draw some parallels to even, you know, the band's own history or, or the Beatles or any great musician that 10,000 hours plus, you know, just grinding it out, working on the chops. Now, you, you spend a lot of time doing this, you know, parallel to that the the band has you know their entire career whether it's you know with ronnie hawkins dylan their own success all throughout the late 60s and 70s last waltz happens 76 you know that starts to a lot of people is like that's you know that's it um but obviously you know solo a lot of these guys did stuff Levon putting out some fantastic albums rick you know and then it's it's they put the band back together too and they have a different ensemble of people um including the kates and everything now what was that conversation like maybe we could start with like did you you know you're from the area did you prior to joining did you know any of these guys yeah. did you meet them did you meet people like levon yeah oh yeah oh well, yeah oh totally i i met levon in like 71 or so <clears throat> he would might have been 70 uh Garth all the time. I knew him way back then, and and uh, Rick would come in. I worked at a um, in after high school. I worked in a stereo shop called Sound In, and um, I worked there for a few years. And Levon and 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 it was a great guy, uh, Kermit Schwartz. He he always smoked like two cigarettes going at the same time. He had a big Maalox ring around his lips. He was a a funny old Jewish guy ran this uh, music store that had just, you know, high end stuff, Revoxes, Macintosh, Crowns. And he gave all these guys who come in and like Butterfield would do a record there or the band was working on something. They'd bring in their demos or the records and he'd play it through his Revox and hang out with us. So I met them, a lot of them there. And, um, and of course they, in Dini's, a local restaurant, Rick would come in and sing with the the piano player, Richard, at, you know, at the bar. So they would just come in late night, and and I met them through that way, you know. And um, they were all just down home good people. Uh, uh, they just blend right in with all the, the locals back then, and um, they had you know no airs about them. <laughs> really good character so when i moved back from atlanta uh the artie trom said well levon needs a, a guitar player i can't make it and i did some gigs with the levon helm all-stars with um in the early 80s like um before i joined the band and that's where i met levon you know we hooked back up i had met him you know like i said in the early 70s with you know, there when he'd come in and stuff at the store. But um, <clears throat> when I moved back from Atlanta and all the traveling I did, um, I met, I met, um, I met back up with him and started playing with Levon. And then when I had a, you know, to uh, he called me up and said, "Hey, you know, we were I was playing a country bar called the. Um, let me see if I can remember it. The Getaway." 
and Levon would uh, with Levon, and then I had a I played there with Levon, and then uh, I had a country band that would play there too, and we had all kinds of names for Levon, Loveless, and uh, then Rick would come in and sit in with us, and then Richard Manuel, and he moved back, would come in and sit in. So, uh, and then one night Levon called me up and said, "We're getting the band back together." Um, we're going, um, why don't you come down and sit in and play with us? And um, I went down and uh, to the getaway and sat in because Garth had moved back along with Richard Manuel and sat in and played all night with them. And then they went out on the road for about a week with the Cates too. They had two bands, the whole Cates Brothers band with them with Crosby, Stills, and Nash in 1985. And um, Levon guys called me up and said look man you, you got to come back uh come on out we can't we can't keep the cape brothers a full band with us we want you to join the band and uh that's kind of how it happened For, from your perspective you grew up listening to these guys talk about robbie and and his playing and obviously for for a lot of folks you know robbie's an integral part to the band the band sound all of that what was it like for you you know, stepping into those shoes. You're a phenomenal guitar player yourself. Um, you bring a lot to the band, but, you know, obviously a lot of just general fans were would have been like, wait, you know, who's this guy? What, what was it like for you kind of joining the fold and, and getting on the road with those guys? It was, um, it was a big, you know, I was totally honored because they were one of my favorite groups. And I, you know, and um, to to at that point i i had been in bars it seemed like forever you know and i was like 31 32 i guess uh 1985 <laughs> can't count back that far now <laughs> but uh i had been playing bars hard and and uh, so i was really comfortable with just playing doing just being myself and those guys allowed me to they loved it they just just do do what you do you know and um of course like for the intro to makes no difference i do this great robbie intro robbie came up like i said he came up with great parts these integral melodic parts like the beginning of don't do it or or uh, walcott medicine show that darn it darn there intricate great guitar parts so what I would learn them, but they never told me to do anything. Just be yourself. Levon said, crank, you know, make the rhythm real thick, leave room for the backbeat and just um, <clears throat> keep it, keep that sound thick and, and uh, play hard. You know, there was no ever any fluffing, but those guys would never tell me what to do. Really. They let me do thing. I guess they, they uh, enjoyed playing with me. So, um, but I would cover, but I was very honored to, in a long story short, I was very honored to be working with them. And because of Levon's belief in me and the rest of the guys, you know, they opened, they changed my life as far as musically. I got to play with everybody I could ever dream of. I want to ask you about one specific thing. And I try to do this with my guests, especially who were around the band at this period of time or knew some of these guys, because uh, it's sometimes hard to find some of this information or, you know, not a lot's written about it. But you you crossed over in the band for roughly a year with Richard. 
obviously uh, passed away uh, tragically. For for our audience out there, you know, we have a lot of Richard lovers, myself included. I can't hide it. I, I love Richard. The reason why I'm, I got into the band. What was he like, both personally and what did he offer musically? And in, in your time, in your time with the group, what what kind of information did you glean from that? Uh, he was just uh, a really, really good, really nice guy, and um, he was, you know, I could, I can t- tell he, he was troubled. You know, he, he had his demons he was dealing with. But it, um, when I joined up with them, they just the nicest guy. We would hang me, Rick, and Richard would hang tough and go out after the gigs. And, and funny dude too, of course, you know, um, but his feel on it was one of the best i mean his singing is beyond anything what a voice a unique voice but his piano playing he was really the glue of the band his rhythm playing was he's one of the best rhythm piano players he could play really simple but he was like the steve cropper of piano to me his the his rhythm parts were so strong and they were the glue they really were the glue. Garth made the band sound like the band, made the uniqueness to me. But Richard was the glue. Um, uh, his rhythm piano playing was fantastic. So besides his great singing, which he can go from falsetto to low, as you know, um, his rhythm playing really held the group together. That was a big thrill. Super nice guy. And um, he was a... We had a funny story when we went up to um, Canada. I we we were I was flying back. We came back. We played a festival in um, Portugal for like three hundred thousand people. And um, when we got back, Richard says, "Well, I'm going up to Stratford. They're going to give me an award. Why don't you Why don't you come with me?" So we got in a little tiny plane, like a four seater or something, and we flew to buffalo and then he rented like a maverick or a pinto and he's doing 100 miles an hour as fast as the car could go i said rich i think we're going a little faster he went but you want to see niagara falls i said uh okay so he, he, he there's a parking spot and everybody's looking out the restaurant by niagara falls and it's a parking spot look just big enough to fit that pinto and he bashes his way in, bam, boom, bam, boom, bam, boom. And meanwhile, everybody's staring at us out the windows of the restaurant. And he goes, there it is. <laughs> and then he pulls out and keeps going, right? And uh, over on the left-hand side, he goes, that's, that's where I drove my old car, Dixie, down. <laughs> I said, ah, that's interesting to win that on Jeopardy. Yeah, wow. Yeah, Richard and his cars, eh? It, it seems like everybody's got a story about Richard and uh, being in a car with him, good and bad. Uh, yeah, <laughs> death defined driving. Really funny guy, and we had a good time, and uh, just just a good guy, man. Really good soul, and uh, you know, he brought it every night. With without Richard in the band, uh, you know, fundamentally, like you're saying, you lose a lot of that. That obviously the phenomenal voice, the irreplaceable voice, the the, the phenomenal piano playing, and it and it took a couple of years to, you know, uh, kind of get back on your feet. But man, the '90s for yeah. the band 
was I think a dynamite period. I think one of the strongest periods for the band. You know, I talked to Joe Forno a few months ago and you know, reading his book that he put out and he really paints a phenomenal picture uh-huh. of kind of the resurgence and rebirth of the band, whether it's, you know, all the great performances and appearances you guys made, but since I found it, Jericho as an album is this underrated gem, I think. It's it's one of my favorite band albums. I try to tell everybody who's a band fan that has no idea about these, you know, latter three albums, like check out Jericho. You're not going to be disappointed. Um, But specifically to you, one of the coolest songs on it, one of the singles, Remedy, it's just innately catchy. It's, it's such a, it's such a perfect band song. And you co-wrote that song um, with Colin Linden what was it like bringing it to the band and getting them to play on it? Were you like, were you like, you know, you seem to have the great relationship and they're not really telling you what to do. You're playing, you're doing your thing. It seems like a great respectful relationship. Was it, were you nervous bringing a tune to the guys or you're like, Hey, I got this killer tune. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I had this idea, you know, on the bus as we were touring, I came up with, you got the cure. Well, you got the remedy, you know, so I, and, and, um, and I had these rhythm chords and I said, man, I think Colin, I got, I got a good idea. And, and he wrote a majority of all those verse lyrics and just fantastic lyrics. And we got together and put the song together and, um, I presented it to them and Levon immediately liked it. So I was, I was, uh, very honored that very exciting for me to have the band cut one of our songs and um so that was really cool and then it became a, i guess a, sing- a a single in canada for sure and a second single down here and people still i still play it today so catchy it, it fits in with you know the best tunes like you know the greatest you know greatest hits like i feel like it fits in it's like you said you know it, it's no surprise that levon liked it it feels like a perfect song for his voice and and the type of the feel he gives the song right so you know jericho critically acclaimed uh, resurgence of the band but and then you have you have the two additional studio albums as well i i really want to touch specifically on jubilation there um can you tell me what it was like recording that album? Obviously, at the time, maybe not knowing it would have been the last studio album for the band, but I feel like that one kind of gets a little lost. Uh, but it, you know, it's really great. You know, it did really great. Tell me a little bit about that. It did. It's one of those ones that I, don't, you know, it was kind of Levon's voice was bad, in bad shape. He was just pre, pre before he found out he had cancer. And uh, it, he wasn't do, feeling well. And um, I didn't think we had enough great songs. And to me, it was kind of like, I kind of wrote that one off. It, it wasn't, the vibe wasn't right. We didn't have the core guys. Uh, we had me and Richard and Randy there, but, um, you know, Danko wasn't there that much or, or, you know, it just wasn't a team thing like, Jericho and High and the Hog, you know. So I was really crazy about the record, and I didn't, I didn't think it should have came out because I didn't think it was a strong. There was some good songs on it, but I, I don't think it was um, the right timing. It just was a kind of a rough time. 
I believe on too. Yeah. yeah. Was it was it a label thing? Did they want another one out? Was it Levon who wanted another one out? Like what was the what was the deal with that? Well, you know, it I think a label came offered the offered the record. I mean, Forno probably would know more about those details and offered to do one out of this label. I think they were based out of Chicago. And um and at the time and I don't know, I just it just it was a it wasn't really happening for me. That was my vote on it. I didn't like the producing. I didn't like the, you know, it just shouldn't have happened. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't happen sometimes. It doesn't all fall in line there. There's one, uh, there's one other note though, that I, you know, for, for people like me that want to complete information or try to try to fill in a few blanks here, there was a, you might not know this. Maybe it's very obscure. It's very small. There was a, I guess, uh, you know, early internet here, there was a chat, a band fan chat, and this is after Jubilation came out, and uh, I forget who, it might have been Levon on the chat, said there was an apparent follow-up coming to Jubilation. Obviously, you know, Levon ends up going through some of those health scares, and then, then ultimately Rick passes away as well. Are you aware of any follow-up in the studio for an album uh, for the band after Jubilation? Nope, that was it. Levon got throat cancer, and um, there wasn't any follow-up. Then when, once we lost Rick, that ended the band, you know, in end of 99. Um, so, unfortunately, um, no. I mean, um, <clears throat> you know what? When we were with Rich, when in re going back in reverse, when I first joined the band, when Richard was there, we went into the studio with John Simon, a small little eight-track studio, and we cut about three or four tunes. One of the songs made it to um, on the Jericho album. It was a beautiful ballad that Richard goes, "I got a song," and, and um, but Rich, we we did an instrumental with Richard. Um, we did uh, a song that I did on my album with the Weight Band. Uh, we did a ballad that's that's that I ended up re-recording with the weight band on the uh, World Gone Mad album, but but that was about the only stuff that I knew of that we cut that didn't come out. Interesting. No, that's that's new to me too. That's that's uh, that's fantastic. And before we jump to the some of the weight band stuff, because I, I really want to dig in there. I I want to just cap that off. Like we were saying, you know, fifteen years with with the band the it's it's you know it ends you know because of of rick's untimely passing and everything what was that like in reflection for you spending 15 years you know touring the world working with some great musicians playing in front of some uh, awesome crowds and now you know now it was over what were you obviously i'm assuming you were sad but you know you went on to do and are continuing to do a lot of other awesome things. What was your mindset kind of like around the turn of the millennium? I had had, I, by that time I had, you know, once Rick, I just needed a break from that, you know, and um, I, I, I was done with, um, you know, with everything for a little bit there that, that kind of took the wind out of my sails and, and we kind of, we kind of rode that ship right down. So I decided to um, do a instrumental solo records. And the first one I did was Percolator. And then I started touring that. I went out to Europe and 
touring in the United States with it. So I, I want to do something completely different. And that's what I did after the band um, folded, um, is just do instrumental. Uh, well, I did some previous to that. I had put out some uh, vocal records too, Jim Weeder Band. Um, but around, uh, around that was during the 90s and, and stuff and early 2000. But then I, I put out uh, instrumental records. And was I had an instrumental band called Jim Weeder's Project Percolator, and uh, I did that for a while until I got back with Levon. That's the instrumental stuff's awesome. Uh, I highly recommend people check that out too. I always I always throw that out there um, to fans. the The way band this is a story and an inception of a group that is super interesting to me. So for people that haven't had the chance to to look into the weight band how did this whole thing kind of come together it it kind of came together is i i was never going to do any more band songs for you know and then once i joined up with levon when he called me up to join up because Vavino jimmy Vavino was playing guitar he went out to play with conan o'brien so levon gave me a call said why don't you come on back and, and join up with me you know Got this band with a full horn section, and, and um, I was excited to do it because I had ran my course for a while with my thing, and I was ready to get back and play with Levon. He was feeling better, and um, so I started doing that, and we started doing a couple of band tunes here and there, but not many. And I saw how how excited people were getting from it, and then. Um, when Levon had died, when he when he passed, um, I did a couple of shows with Jimmy Vivino, Garth Hudson, uh, called "Songs of the Band." We did a like a couple of shows, and I saw how excited people were to hear these band tunes. I I figured, well, if, if Garth will do it, I'll go out and play these tunes again, you know, and um, so I did it. And, and I really enjoyed playing them again. I had taken a, a good, you know, pretty good long break there, eight or nine years. And um, it went really well. And I said, wow, maybe we should do, maybe I should put this together. So I got a hold of Randy, who was playing with us at that point, and the Randy Chalante, drummer, singer. And I said, why don't we do a couple shows? And, and um, <clears throat> we did a few, and it really went over well. After Vivino, Garth went on to do his own thing with his wife. So we tried it and I did, I, I said, what we're we gonna call it. And a buddy of mine said, why don't you call it the wait? So we did that and we started playing the, the songs, just the songs. And then after a year or two, I said, you know, we gotta, I gotta write, you know, we gotta make a solo, we gotta make a record. We can't just be playing band songs. And uh, so we wouldn't be just another tribute band, even though I was in the band. And we did. <laughs> and uh, that's where World Gone Mad came about. But that's how it started. It started with me, Vivino, Garth Hudson, and, and going out and doing a few, you know, theaters, playing up some band songs. For band fans and non-band fans alike, you know, we, you know everybody was treated with a, a wonderful debut album, great songwriting instrumentation the 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 whole nine yards and you guys are back uh 
after some time, obviously, you know, we had COVID in the middle of there, so that probably delayed a few things. But, you know, I think a lot of people, myself included, are really excited for you guys to be back with uh, Shines Like Gold. Uh, phenomenal, by the way, like I, like I mentioned previous to, to recording here. From my understanding, you guys recorded this, you tracked this in 2020 with Colin Linden, right? And it's been a little bit of time because of the pandemic and things like that? Yeah, we did it in four days. Um, Colin Linden was on a computer down in Nashville, and we did it like like a Zoom thing like we're doing now, and he would listen to what we're doing, and that's how he produced it. But we, we tracked it in four days, everything, vocals, everything, and then I just did some guitar overdubs at home. Then uh, Neil Gorsman, the great engineer, mixed it. So um, I'm really excited about playing these songs. We're getting ready to start playing them in a few weeks. Actually, uh, next maybe next week. The week after next, we start, and we'll be doing the whole album. And um, I think it's the strongest stuff I've written. Yeah. No, it uh, definitely sounds that way to me uh, as an outsider listening in. It uh, there's some phenomenal tracks on this album what was that like though yeah i didn't know that part just the remote producing and and everything like that yeah that, that must be new for 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 you like i was like everybody else like what were some of the challenges there uh with that kind of setup we could actually um we could put them on a, a computer screen you know and everybody could see them and uh it was interesting and it worked i didn't know if it would work and um I said, well, you know, I've known Colin for so many years. He's such a great, he's become a great producer, but also a great musician. And, uh, and one of my favorite songwriters, my main songwriting buddy to, to write with. So it was really comfortable. And even though he was that far away, he made everybody feel comfortable. Um, I can't say enough about Colin. He's a super, super human being and great guy. Had great idea. He made it really work, and we did it to get it all done in four days. Was like really, yeah, wow, that's that's mighty impressive. Vocally, everything, harmonies, you know. We have a chemistry now with Albert, the great our bass player, singer, great voice, and um, and Michael, the drummer, great voice, and then our newest keyboard player. We have Brian Mitchell. Of course, he's been with us from the start, great, unique voice and uh, keyboards. And then a real powerful singer, Matt Ziner, who played with Dickie Betts has joined us. And the, the harmonies that Matt, Albert and uh, Michael have, it just comes natural. They, it reminds me of the band. They just all fall right in place. Matt can sing high, he can sing low. So it's really, we've really got the right chemistry now. So I'm really excited about playing this new album out. One track in particular was interesting to me, uh, Out of the Wilderness, that you co-wrote with, with Colin. From my understanding, you originally wrote this one for maybe for Rick to sing back in the day, right? Yeah, yeah, actually, I, yeah, that's right. I wrote that tune with Colin and um, Richard Bell, too, um, for the Jericho album. And we just, you know, never got around to recording, but it was written for Rick Danko. And I just felt like um, it was perfect for Albert's voice, you know. This album, you know, 
I can't wait for you guys to throw it out. I think it comes out April 1st. The single, March 26th, I think the single um, for Out of the Wilderness comes out. And, um, yeah, people can go on our website, theweightband.com, and there's about, you know, you can order the record and all that stuff. I have a few kind of fan-related questions here because I threw it out on uh, social media that I was interviewing you and people were excited and, and had a few uh, few questions. The The first question uh, comes from a good friend of mine. He, he wants to know about your first gig with the band. The first gig with when <clears throat> the real the real gig, I mean, the getaway was just like come down and sit in. I wouldn't call that a gig, but was Dallas, Texas. I flew out to Dallas and I think I was like, I don't know, 32 or something, 33, whenever I joined. And um, I get there and I didn't know what to expect. We were opening for Crosby, Stills, Nash, about 25,000 people, no rehearsal. And I see, you know, four guys lifting Richard Manuel up in the air, completely bombed, really like, <laughs> I'm going, oh my God, really? We're going to get up and play? And they set them at the piano, and then I got to kick off these tunes. I'm going, wow, this is really nuts. <laughs> and uh, that was how I, you know, no rehearsal. I just got on stage and, you know, started right off the Walcott Medicine Show or Cripple Creek or whatever we started with back then. But I'd have to kick off the songs. It was pretty, uh, it was quite the situation to be in. Those guys were all characters, but really good-hearted. Yeah, for sure. No, that sounds that sounds like quite the uh, quite the uh, night. You were on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was quite the way to start out. Yeah, there was no like oh, rehearse for two weeks. I just got up on stage and hit yeah, go. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, another another question. Um, we we briefly touched on it earlier, but. Um, project percolator will you tour again will i tour again i don't know um maybe i was thinking about doing a reunion we had a guy from toronto actually playing bass with us for years steve lucas fantastic bass player from toronto who'd come down god bless him he'd drive down from toronto just for all these gigs that we would do you know um i'd like to rodney and those guys were just amazing it was fun I had a good time doing it. Uh, we we talked earlier about it. Um, just you know, joining the band, filling those shoes of Robbie. Did you ever, did you ever jam with Robbie? Talk to Robbie about being in the band or what it was like playing with the group. You know what? No, no, I never, never did. And uh, only time I ever saw him was at 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 like was like at rick's funeral or something and i was too upset to even want to talk to him so no we never really talked we never um after all these years yeah do you and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to but what do you think it's a conscious choice like you know you hear actors all the time when they're playing real characters right if i was to draw an analogy they like they don't they don't talk to that person because it, you know, there's somebody else. I'm, I'm doing my thing for you with the guitar, the band let you, you know, do your own thing. Did you not feel the need to, you know, reach out to Robbie to, you know, 
play those songs? Was it some of that, or was it just kind of like it just never? No, I would have loved it. No, not at all. I would have loved to meet him. I mean, it's, he was one of my guitar heroes when I was a youngster, and uh, he was a big influence. And I'm a, you know, I love his songwriting, everything. I would have loved to meet him. No, I had no, no, no airs about anything like that. I, I, you know, really looked. I would have loved to talk to him, and I'm sure we could have shared. I ended up meeting a lot of the same exact people that influenced him that Levon introduced to him when I read uh, his book. All the same people down south and um, all Levon's old high school buddies and the guys in Toronto and the Hawk. And so we have a lot of the same stories in common. So I think it, it, I always said it would have been really interesting. And he's, you know, a guitar player. So guitar players a lot in common so maybe one day we will be able to sit and laugh because uh, i'm sure we'll have some good mutual stories i hope you know for sure. for sure uh and then the last question here from from fans if you had to pick and this is a tough one but if you had to pick a favorite band song what song would it be for you jim i you know what um you know i think i really enjoy playing life's a carnival kind of sums up the whole the whole thing about being in the band or, you know, Walcott Medicine Show <laughs> just kind of sums up the whole band's vibe, you know, of like, you know, people really enjoyed the band because they, they talked about real, real people's feelings and situations and where they worked. If you could really relate to them as like something your brother would do, you know, you work in a field and then go out and fall in love with the local bartender. Uh, you know, so they're, they're, they're down home people and they wrote down home songs. And um, I, I just could really relate to them in that way. No, that makes a lot of sense. Obviously two great songs. Uh, you were, uh, you're too nice. I would have thrown remedy in there. Come on. Uh, killer tune. <laughs> can't really be talking about my own song (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah uh just pulling it like there but uh thanks again jim um i'll include all of the details in uh in the description and after the fact here for the for the new album uh shines like gold the weight band um any kind of final or closing remarks uh before before we let you go well, I, I just hope that we can come up to Canada and um, or hopefully I know we're going to be coming up to Buffalo. So you guys got to come across the river there and come and see us. Uh, otherwise, um, we hope to get up to Canada this summer and, and play. Um, we, need, we need to get up there and see you guys. We haven't been up there with the weight band and uh, I think we'll have a blast. Yeah, no. Well, uh Thank you again, Jim. Honestly, it's it's been uh, it's been an honor talking to you. Uh, I know the fans will will of the show and the band will love this. Um, thank you for your your service to the band and the great work that you're continuing to do. And uh, it's it's been a great chat. Thanks. Well, yeah. And anybody wants to hear anything, they can go to our website and uh, we've got a YouTube channel and we've just joined Live Archive. So that we'll be starting to put up a lot of live shows. So if we can't make it to Canada, 
too soon, then you catch That's us there. Awesome. Fantastic. Thank you. All right. Bro. Thank you now. Thank you for listening to my interview with Jim. He was a wonderful guy, a fantastic talk, um, and I really am liking what he's doing with the weight band. Again, if you want to know more about the weight band, um, more about their music, their tour dates, and just the band as a whole, you can find it on theweightband.com. And remember, their second album, Shines Like Gold, comes out on April 1st, 2022. In other news here, uh, I just want to talk about the sponsor for this episode, and that is BetterHelp. I agreed to talk about BetterHelp, like I said previously, because I truly believe if a resource like this was around for the band, and specifically somebody like Richard Manuel, a lot less pain and suffering would have occurred. The good news is that therapy works. Wherever you need it, it's time to stop being ashamed of, of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. And a special offer to the band of history listeners, you get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash the band. That's betterhelp.com slash the band. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Now, if you guys want to follow along online and uh, chat with me on social media, we're on all the major social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and TikTok at The Band Podcast. We put a lot of cool content up there and love to chat. Additionally, if you want to support the show in a monetary way, consider becoming a patron. Join us at uh, patreon.com slash the band of history. You can uh, start contributing some money and get some great content, including blog posts, early access to episodes, and a myriad of other things as well. Thank you to all the patrons who support the show on a monthly basis. Uh, the show wouldn't be around and going so strong without your help. So again, that was my interview with Jim Weeder. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll catch you on the next one.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 